Welcome to the John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Hey everyone, John Chapman. Today we interviewed my friend Debbie King, who is the owner of a financial coaching business called the ABCs of Personal Finance. And what's tremendous about Debbie's story is she shares how she was one day in over $200,000 of consumer debt in her late 20s, and she didn't let that hold her back. She was able to gain control of her financial situation, turn it around, pay everything off, and then she was empowered to start a career for educating people to be better with their financials. So if you're feeling down in the dumps about your finances, this is going to be a message that's filled with hope and encouragement. So be sure to listen to the episode. And without further ado, let's bring on my friend, Debbie King. Hey, Debbie King. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. You have a unique story, Debbie, but it's one that's filled with a ton of hope and I'm excited to share with our audience. And today's message is all around understanding how overspending can lead to a lot of consumer and personal debt. And your story is unique. At one point, you shared that you had almost $200,000 in debt. And the, the, the crazy thing, the neat thing is that you conquered that, you came out the other side, and now you have so much to offer people in terms of education through your books and your website. So we're going to cover a lot of this today, and I, and I appreciate you sharing. But would you start, Debbie, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what was money like in your house growing up? Well, I grew up in uh, Clemson, South Carolina, or right outside of it in Seneca, but um, in, the, in the deep south. And uh, Growing up, everything in my family, and it was probably that way in a lot of Southern families, was very private, you know, and whatever happened, parents didn't argue in front of you. And it may have been the day and time. I don't know if it was geographical or or the time period, probably a little bit of both, but everything was kind of prim and proper, you know, and nobody argued in front of. So if my parents discussed something, it was never done in front of me. And I would see, you know, my mom pay the bills. She would sit down once a month and pay the bills. And I would see that, but there was never money discussed. And if I needed something, it was whatever, you know, but like, I never knew how much my parents made. I never knew, like when I went to school, it looked like we were middle-class-ish, I guess, you know, we weren't super poor. I actually probably thought we were rich, to be honest with you. Um, (laughs) It was just all of our needs were met. But I was told no, just like every other kid. I mean, my favorite memory, and I used it with my daughter, and I probably will use it with my grandchildren, is Calvin Klein jeans. They were real big when I was in junior high and high school, and I wanted them. And my mom's like, no. She's like, I'll pay for the regular brand, and if you want those, you have to pay the difference. She wasn't buying the name brands. If I wanted them, that was fine, but I had to spend my money you know, on that difference. So I was taught a few lessons like here and there, but I don't, again, I don't know even what my mom and dad did. I never really asked them, but I didn't see a budget in front of me. We didn't talk about money. Like I said, I never knew what they made. 
I know my mom told me later, she was always afraid I would blab at church, you know, <laughs> how much they made and nobody wanted to know that. And, you sure. know, at, normal at, stuff at some point, And I don't even remember where it was. And my dad's gone now. So I can say this, my mom made more than my dad. And it was just the job she had. It was nothing against either one of them. They both had high school education. So it wasn't anything like that. It was just the movement within the companies that they worked for. I see. But my mom, you know, never wanted anybody to know that. So we just didn't talk about money. It was very taboo house. And so bring, bring us up to the time then, because, you know, as you started to become a, you know, a young adult and maybe you were out of the house or out of college at some point, um, like many of us were tempted by our consumer society and living a lifestyle that we see from either friends or parents that may have uh, nice cars or nice houses. A lot of that starts to get really appealing. So share with us a little bit about how things started to go in the direction of accumulating some your personal debt. Right. And that's kind of what happened was I was fine as long as I was in my mom and dad's house. And then I went away to college. And so you just started having that influence of other people. And like I said, when it was taboo to talk about, I really didn't go to them if I needed to make a financial decision. I just did what everybody else was doing. And even in college, because I don't know many of your listeners may remember if they were from the eighties and nineties, it's illegal now. But when you went on a college campus, there was banks everywhere ready to give you a credit card. You know, they had tables set up on orientation day and move in day. And that whole first week of school when you're getting settled and they would give anybody a credit card. And you're talking about a freshman in college who has no job, you know, who, who is trying to get an education and they want to hit you with this credit card. And that's where I got credit card. I felt, I mean, why would I not fall into it? They were giving me a free blanket or free whatever, you know, gift. And yeah, right. Then, you know, they, I didn't even understand credit cards because it wasn't taught in school. We were taught how to balance a checkbook and that was it. Right. And, um, you know, so I didn't even understand like, okay, they're giving me $300 to spend. That's free money in my mind. Like I just didn't, I didn't get it, you know, and I wasn't a dumb person. I was straight A's Dean's list. I mean, I'm not a dumb person. I went to school for accounting, but it was because of that emotional connection of it all. Yeah. And I just didn't understand. So from then on, it just went downhill. And, you know, even when I graduated, I was just trying to get everything that my parents had right away. Cause I thought, okay, I'm out in the world now. I'm getting ready to get married, whatever. I need a car. I have a job. So I need a car. I need a house. I need a furn- you know, a house full of furniture. I can't live in an apartment. I need a house. And you know, just all these things that just I just fell for, I guess. It was just yep. the, the myths of society, the thing, and I just yep. fell for it. I was a sucker and fell for every one of them. Yeah. At up. what point then, like walk us through then, you know, at what point did you start to get the sense that maybe your parents didn't have debt, even though they had some of the things, and maybe that you, you shouldn't really be accumulating that dollar amount, you know, what life stage were you in and how much at that point had you accumulated in debt? Well, that was, that actually came a little bit later when I had my meltdown moment. Um, I was 28 years old. I was a single mom. I had this 200, I had over $200,000 of debt. And I looked up and I was only, I was only working part-time making like 10,000 a year. And I just had a meltdown in the middle of my living room floor. My little one month old baby girl's laying there, you know, and I just said, I can't do this anymore. And when I decided that I wasn't going to live that way, because it is a decision, everybody, you have to decide it's not going to change by wanting to. It's not going to change by even thinking that you should. The only way you're going to change is by taking action and deciding that you're going to do it and getting mad enough to do it. 
And I did. I got sad enough and mad enough at the same time. There you go. And mad in enough that, to take in, my, in my, I realized that everything I'd been doing was wrong. So I had to start over. Mm-hmm. So one of the resources that I went to was my parents, my mother and, um, and my dad some, but my mom was more the one that paid the bill, you know, the bookkeeper, if you will. And, um, so what I did there was I did finally ask her and I guess because I was an adult and she didn't have to worry about me blabbing to the church folk, <laughs> yeah. you know, she would answer my questions and she would explain things about how they got what they got and how they bought their houses and how they did things like that. I mean, they took a 30 year mortgage out on their house, but they paid it in 10 years. And she explained how they did that. And this was just stuff that nobody had ever talked to me. And I started there and I had a couple other family members that had done it right, if you will, quote unquote, right. And a lot of books, the Bible, I went straight to the Bible on how to deal with money um, of faith and went to my grandmother who had nothing. And she grew up in the depression. And um, I mean, she's still like, she didn't have anywhere near what we have, but it was just looking at her looking at her happiness and her contentment of having what little she had and being one of the happiest women on earth. She lived to be 102. And I swear it was her attitude and her, just the way she looked at things is a big part of why she lived that long. Yeah. Well, so you had the meltdown moment and then the, 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 the veil came off. You started talking with your mom and other family members and really started to educate yourself about getting through this. So how long, at what point then, how many years or even decades did it take for you to turn around and conquer a lot of the debt and then move past that season of your life? Well, it only took me about five years because I got really mad. Wow. And um, I did sell a lot of things and mm-hmm. I did go through bankruptcy, but I went through the bankruptcy where you kind of restructure yourself, not the one where you, I guess a couple of things were written off. I'm not going to sit here and say something wasn't written off or settled, but it was a very small portion of it, maybe like 10 or 20,000 of $200,000. So mm-hmm. I mean, it was just part of the process of, of starting over. And But most of the things that I owed on, you couldn't do that. Like you could, bankruptcy doesn't let you just, you know, wipe everything away. Some things have to sit there. You have to deal with them. And so I would say probably 175 to 180 of the 200 I had to deal with personally. It's a matter of selling stuff and getting rid of stuff and sacrificing and just doing what you need to do. And, you know, again, I know this isn't a religious show, but for me, it was praying, like just praying, God, open a door for me to make more money or show me how I can pay this off. Because in the real world, it seemed impossible. And without that hope and belief, Hmm. even a small amount, whatever it was, I had to hold on to that or it would have just always been bigger than me. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's an incredible story and admirable that you 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 got mad enough to change your mind, live a different way. And five plus years later, you're in a significantly different spot. So I guess let's fast forward a little bit because you've really taken this uh, ed, you know, financial education to heart. And I want you to tell everybody about a little bit about the business that you run now. And you've actually authored three books on personal finance, which is incredible. So tell us a little bit about the three books and the time. Topic, subject matters of each of those? Yeah. Um, I, the reason that I started, the, I didn't even know how to start it. It just kind of came from, I just wanted to take what I had learned and just tell it to the world. And if they wanted it, great. If they didn't, that was okay too. But I just wanted my story out there and what I had done. I thought, I just need to tell you what I've done 
If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. You know, we can still be friends. Because one thing I learned is personal finance is personal. And what worked for me may not work for somebody else and vice versa. It's why a lot of, I mean, there's some great plans out there. I actually just answered this question in an interview earlier today. There's a great, a lot of great plans out there, but they don't work for everybody. They're like diets and they're only going to work if you want them bad enough too. So what we do here at the ABCs of personal finances, we work individually with you. We do have cookie cutter programs, but even within those, meaning marriage counseling or get out of debt or debt consolidation or whatever our budgeting course, the different things we have, when we talk to you, because we talk to everybody across the country, we use, you know, all these nice internet things, you know, and stuff. And we talk to you no matter where you are. And I usually work with, I work with 98% of the people on my own personally, because I wanted to do that. And I want to make sure that whatever, whatever you're fighting against, that we can help you get through that because everybody has a different demon. Everybody has a different wall or thing that's preventing them from moving forward. It's not, not everybody has the same problem. Yeah, certainly. And you have to address, I'm going to tell you, money Whatever you owe or whatever your debt problem is, is there's a deeper problem. Debt is not the problem. That's just where it showed up. Yeah, definitely. That's where it showed up for me. And I had to I had to beat my demons up and defeat my demons. And I still fight with my demons. Even being out of debt, I fight with them. And, you know, but I can win now. You know, 90% of the time I can win. Definitely. And my heroes are a lot less when I don't win. I've got one, two zeros here that I can handle and cover. Yeah. And Five zeros. <laughs> that, you know. I'm curious to if you can recall, are, have there been any recent cases you can briefly tell us about? What Describe some of the scenarios of uh, some of the folks that you've recently encountered for your work. Well, I don't like to talk about like personal cases just for the privacy matter. But I will say like one of the biggest things, common things that happen, people come to me and they're two and three months. This happens at least three times a month. Somebody will come to me and they're like three or four months behind or two or three months behind. And they're, they even try to budget and they can't, you know, there's just no money in there. I get a hold of that budget without any emotion whatsoever. Cause I'm not tied to, to their, budget, you know, to their money stuff. And I tell them where to cut, what to do and stuff. And I have found them anywhere from like 300 to $700 Amazing. every month. And they can't find any, they're so far behind. Sure. And it's, it's one of the things that we try to do is we educate. That's a big thing. I'm a teacher. That's what I, I went to school for accounting and teaching. I put them together and started my business. Um, Perfect. But the biggest thing is just making sure that we kind of help you with that emotional stuff because I, I get it. Like I can't even make a decision. I have to use my husband or sometimes my mom even to make a decision if I'm really emotionally attached to something, I want something really bad. I have to talk it out. Yeah. Well, and, it talks that, that makes me think about how important it is to be doing this with a good, uh, you know, a trusted partner and some doing it in community because that emotional filter that we all have seems to really get in the way between us making good or bad financial decisions. So part of the value that you get to offer then a lot of your clients is then coming in with a, with a non-emotional viewpoint and you get to share your perspective on how to chop up that budget and find a couple hundred dollars every month. Yeah. I had a client who was actually a cousin of mine and she was so 
overwhelmed. She was a little bit older and she was so overwhelmed that she asked me, can you just take over my finances? Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Now she didn't just hand them to me, but like every decision she needed to make, I had access to her bank. Now this is not normal because it was a family member, but I had access to every single thing. And when she did, she didn't buy a thing or do anything without running it through me. That's and right. I told her no so much. So I'm like, she's going to hate me. But at the end, when she got out of debt and owed nobody at 64 years old and actually had money in the bank, she hugged me and thanked me and cried Amazing. and couldn't believe it because she said all those no's were worth it. She said, I just needed somebody who loved me enough to get in my face That's great. and say no and tell me why. Why is this not okay? That's a big thing with me. It was yeah. a big thing with my daughter. I'll tell you no all day long but I'll also tell you why. I'm not going to say no because I said so. I hate that line. It's not no because this is just the way it is. I will tell you exactly why that's not okay and not good for you right now. I like that. Well, that makes me, that leads into thinking a little bit about your books. There's a few more things I want to make sure to get to, but it seems like in your books, you talk a little bit about the why behind some of your decisions. So tell us first, what are the three books that you have available and that the listeners may be able to check out? Yeah, I have the first book I wrote was the ABCs of personal finance. That's a deep read. It's basically everything I learned from A to Z during my process. And every chapter is 26 chapters. Every chapter is a letter. And it's funny because the first chapter is attitude. And a lot of people shut it out. Like as soon as they see that my attitude has nothing to do with my money. It has everything to do with your money. Yep. And if you read the book, you'll find that out. <laughs> um, <laughs> attitude has everything to do with yes. it. That's totally Personal right. finance is 80% emotion or about 90% emotion, 10% math. We all get the math. We passed sixth grade. We got it. You know, it's that emotion you got to get through. And that the book is full of it, but it will help you. The second book was 26 Weeks to Wealth and Financial Freedom. That's just sort of a kind of a step-by-step. It's not a big seller. I just put it out there in case somebody just didn't know where to start. And it really helps change your mindset. It was geared toward changing your mind from where you are, having like a debt, a month-to-month kind of mindset to having a wealthy mindset. That's what that was. Cool. And my latest book came out about a year and a half ago. It's 50 Shades of Money. 50 and Shades of Money. I, asked the 50, I answered the 50 most asked questions to me over the last 10, 15 years of doing this. So it's a great reference book. It's a short read if you want to start there. You wouldn't even have to read all of them, you know, and each answer is only about two or three pages long. So it's kind so of you You cataloged some of the most common or most popular questions over your career. And, and that's how the 50 Shades of Money came about. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. just, you know, what, I mean, cause I get asked a lot of the same questions just over and over and over in different forms, but the, 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 the heart of the question is usually the same. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, for the listeners out there, um, I encourage you to check out the resources. They're terrific and they're a good place to start for a lot of those that need just some basic education. One of the things that we chatted about in our prior conversation was uh, your daughter and some of the financial education you've been able to offer her and just some of the stories you've been able to see through her. And part of what I love hearing about that is because there is a way to impact the next generation in terms of their financial education, literacy, and their behavior and habits. So one story in particular I'm curious for you to share with everybody is uh, the occasion where your daughter uh, maybe bought a toy and uh, she had to learn for herself the uh, the the um, how it felt afterwards when she didn't really enjoy it. So tell us a little bit about what money has been like for you in educating your daughter. Yeah, um, I'm not, I'm very against just this say yes to everything for our kids. I want better for my kids than I have for myself, all of that. Because our kids need to learn 
And I know the best way I learned from my mistakes is to make them. You don't want to make big mistakes. You know, you got to walk next to them, hold their hand and stuff like that. Keep an eye on them. But they have to make their own mistakes. And my daughter had the pleasure or the whatever, you know, of going through this with me for a lot of it. So there was a time where I would buy her anything and everything. All she, you know, I had her whole room was Little Mermaid. She went through a Little Mermaid phase. She had, I bought her every single thing ever made by Disney for Little Mermaid. And so she knew that part. And then all of a sudden I had learned a different way and was, you know, processing and trying to get in a better place. So I had to all of a sudden start saying no to her. And she was okay with that, but you know, she, in some ways she wasn't, but then she got older and I, I had her start earning her own money through a contract that I had here. It wasn't a chore. It was, you know, a, a job contract that we had. She would like do certain that. things and she'd get paid. Great. And so she had her own money and, um, she wanted this, uh, ukulele because it was the end thing at school. Everybody had one. Everybody was learning to play one and she wanted one. And it was only like $30. It would, I had plenty of money. I could have done it. And I didn't think she needed a ukulele. I thought, in my opinion, she was going to play it twice. That was going to be it. So that's why I wasn't going to pay my money for it. Definitely. So I told her, I said, you, if you want it bad enough, you say you can have it. I'll, I'll take you. We'll get a deal on it, whatever. We'll get it. So she did. And we went and got it. She got a purple one or pink or whatever, you know, so she could play it. She played it two times. It went in the closet and she never saw it again. Mm. And she came back to me later and was like, mom, you were right. I shouldn't have bought that ukulele. Mm. And from then, I mean, you know, and she still would do stuff like that, but it was less and less. The more that they, the more it hurts, the more they get it, you know, it has to hurt a little bit. If you cushion every fall, they're going to keep falling. That's such a good point. I think, you know, the dreaded N word with our kids, we want, we want the best for them, obviously. And as a dad of three young kids, I want to give them uh, so much, but there is a turning point when, when the, the no becomes more important than the yes, but also at the same time, being graceful enough to let them fail while they're at home by spending their own money and seeing what that feels like. So, you know, now that she's an adult, how do you see her interact with her money and what are some of her money habits? Oh, they're excellent. She actually just got engaged last week. And so we're in wedding wedding budget mode and I've told her what the budget is and she's all over it. I mean, I bought something from the local marketplace here for the tables. It was like three bucks, you know? So, I mean, you know, we're just doing the things we can. We're getting deals where we can. And I mean, you can have great stuff, you know, at a good price. But when you have that budget and you set it, it's not infinite, then it makes people think before they buy stuff. You know, it makes them think before they spend $4,000 on a venue. Oh, I only have 5,000. So what am I going to do? But if you say you can have anything you want, everything you want, all of a sudden you've got a twenty-five, dollars $30,000 wedding. You know, she was showing me statistics of, of weddings and like what they cost. And I almost fell off the couch. I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not spending that. I could buy two cars for what the average price in her state. She lives in, in New York City and she was from, she's going to get married in Connecticut. And I'm like, I could buy two brand new nice cars for what the average price of a wedding in Connecticut is. I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. But then I also told her what my mom told me about the Calvin Klein jeans. This is how much we have. If it goes above that, you're on your own. Yeah, that's an important lesson. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay. So we've done what we can do without hurting ourselves because we want her to have a nice wedding. She's our daughter. Yep. But I have set a boundary and I have said no. As parents, we don't, there's two reasons we don't like to say no. One is we don't want to see 
the sadness or we want to be their best friend. And if we say no, they're going to get mad at us for a few minutes. And we don't want that. Right. Or we don't want the confrontation. We don't want to hear it. Exactly. Well, in parenting, I'm going to take us two seconds here and give a parenting lesson. You have to not allow the fit, first of all, you know, as a parent, you have to stop that. But it's okay to say no. Again, tell them why you're saying no. But also give them the opportunity if they're old enough to make their own money, whether it's through allowance, commission, job, whatever. So, you know what? That's your money. You do what you want with it. And they will learn. They'll spend a lot of money, but they'll learn. Yeah, that's so helpful. And I'm curious to ask, at what age did you start introducing some of these money conversation? I think, uh, again, for a lot of parents that may be listening, one of the concerns is is similar to what maybe you even shared with your parents, is just not wanting to feel as if it's just this constant conversation. We don't want to focus on it because we want to focus on our values and and maybe money is not one of them. But the oddity is that we need to be bringing it up appropriately. So, you know, are there key ages that you got to see that there was some real clear development for your daughter and her money education? Well, yeah. I mean, money's always going to be there. Money is a tool of how we buy everything. Even if something's free, somebody paid for it. Like nothing in life is free. That's a true statement because somebody, even if they hand it to you free, somebody paid for it somewhere. And so money's always going to be there. It can't be a taboo subject. So we have to start teaching principles and just small things. I mean, if your kid's five, six, seven, eight years old, don't whoop out a 10 page budget and for the whole year and show them all this stuff and confuse the crap out of them. It's the same thing as the sex talk. You do it appropriately to the age, but Mm. you don't avoid the subject. Mm. And you also don't sit there and every every day we must have a money meeting and we must talk about money every single day. No, but as an opportunity arises, talk about it. Don't be afraid to talk about it and make it as, as general conversation as pop, make it as, as easy as you can. In other words, don't make it like it's forced. Don't make it like it's your, you're upset about it. You're uptight about it. Or if you are uptight about money, that will be how it comes across. You know, if you're dealing with debt yourself, yeah. be honest with your kids. My daughter knows exactly how much debt I was in, what I did to get out of it. I was as honest as I could be. Hmm. She sees her father struggle and his own issues because he hasn't had the success that I have in that area. So she sees all those struggles there Yeah, and she just doesn't want to live that way. And just don't be afraid to talk to your kids, but yeah. you know, again, at an appropriate level and just like you would about anything else. Don't, you know, it's not a, money can't be taboo. It's yeah. too much a part of life. That's so true. So, uh, unfortunately we're going to wrap up a little bit and, um, I'm going to edit that out. Sorry, but you know, unfortunately we're coming up to time, Debbie. So I want to make sure that we share with listeners, if there's a few other things, maybe somebody that's listening feels like they're overwhelmed and they're not quite sure where to start, or maybe they're working on paying down debt and don't know what the next chapter is. Um, What sort of uh, points of encouragement or resources, what are some of the things that you'd want to be able to share with them now? Well, the first thing I want to tell everybody, I don't care who you are, what your situation is, whether you have $10 in debt or you've got $200,000 like I had, you can do it. I did it. I didn't do it by myself. I, you know, I didn't, you have to have people around you. And if you don't have people around you, if you feel alone, please reach out to us. We have, you know, it's not about the money. I know you think you can't afford our programs, but we keep them as low as we can. And we'll even work with you because we want to make sure that you have that hope and that somebody's on your side. 
because I believe in you. I don't know you, but I believe in you and that you can do it. And I love you and I want to help you. It's why I started this business. It's awesome. And you're not alone and you can do it because I did it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. So tell us to where can people find more information about you or any of your services, Debbie? Uh, well, you can go to the ABCs of personalfinance.com. You can also go to debbieking.com. That's D-E-B-B-I-K-I-N-G.com. And I also have a weekly podcast and it's available in every single venue out there. And that's the ABCs of personal finance. If you type in that or my name, it'll pop up. And uh, we have a podcast that comes out every Monday. That's awesome. Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing a little bit about your story and encouraging people to be able to conquer some of their demons. As she said, be sure to check out more about Debbie's information at uh, DebbieKing.com or the ABCs of Personal Finance. And uh, again, Debbie, thanks for coming on. Hope you have a great day. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.